You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. This morning, as many of you know, we continue our Advent series. Um, A weary world rejoices, salvation comes at Christmas. Part of the premise I've been trying to sell to you is that we live in a a weary world, right? Um, If you've lived more than a minute, you you know that, you see that, you've felt that, right? And um, while we live in a weary world, we, we are in need of hope, peace, and comfort. And God, in His kindness breaks into this weary world and offers lasting hope, lasting peace, lasting comfort through the birth of Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you are weary, then uh, hey, you're in the right place. <laughs> you really are. I mean, I don't know what you, what you came here with, but... Um, If you are weary, I encourage you to rest. You know, I was thinking just for a moment here, I was thinking about this introduction. I used to go to this place called Planet Fitness. It's a gym. And um, they had this mantra, which I appreciate. It's a judgment-free zone. And I'm like, I'm not going to hit the GQ magazine anytime soon, so I appreciate that. Judgment-free zone. Well, this is a distraction-free worry-free zone. As we lean in and look at all that God has done in Christ. So that's, I want you to receive that as we look at God's word and we see why this song is, is in the Bible. I was preparing for this sermon, my mind wandered to all the things of Christmas, uh, all the things, all the stuff. It's interesting how the things of Christmas, right? We, we know De- December's on the calendar, we know it's coming, and it's interesting how the things of Christmas can agitate our weariness instead of like cultivating peace. All the places you got to do, all the things, all the places you got to go, all the things you got to do. And you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not criticizing, I love Christmas, like I'm a Christmas homer. Uh, I love all the things that come with Christmas. I am the guy, I mean, I get criticized for this, and I'm cool with it. I'm the guy who will play Christmas music all year round. I'll put it on Facebook, and all the hate comes. I'm that guy. I love it. I call it incarnational music, and, you know, I make it theological, help people get over it. Like, I just love Christmas. I love the pageantry. I love the pomp, the family traditions. Like, like many of you, you have traditions, like for me, growing up, I'll never forget every year, I'm like making sugar cookies with frosting with my mom. Like we used to go to this park in Dubuque, Iowa, Murphy Park, it was just a parade of lights. You pay five or 10 bucks to get in and you kind of drive through the park and it was beautiful. And those are things you just never forget. These are traditions we love. I love Christmas. And now that I have a family, there are traditions we're cultivating in our home, right? Um, just, just as I can tell you what album my dad always played growing up, um, the Christmas album by Leon Redbone, my kids can tell you, and I even tested my, 
oldest daughter this morning on the way here just to make sure she get it. She could tell you my top two albums. They're like, they're going to hear this every single day of the year, actually, but definitely during Christmas. Like, we, we, I love this time of year. And as much as I love Christmas, there is a downside to kind of like all the pomp. I think the pageantry and frankly the commercialization of Christmas has, has dulled our senses to the mystery of Christmas. It has distracted us from the story of Christmas. It has allowed us to sing, like think about it, it has allowed us to sing Jingle Bells instead of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I'm not hating on Jingle Bells, I'm fine. But just think about it, it has nothing to do with Christmas. To make my point, I actually Googled um, the top Christmas songs, and I'm doing songs in particular because the passage Logan read is a song of praise. And so what I did is I'm like, okay, I'm going to Google this, see, see what kind of turns up, top 10 Christmas songs, and see what, see what we get, right? You never know what you're going to get when you Google something. All right. Well, initially, I got this top 50 list, and I'm like, I'm not going to tell people 50 songs. Paired it down to 10. It was this publication of The Guardian in England. And then I looked at the list. I have it right here. And like, I know one of the 10 songs. So I'm like, all right, I need a new list. <laughs> so I was talking to the ladies in back. And then they Googled one. And this makes much more sense. So here's just the top 10 list. Uh, Last Christmas by Wham. Okay, I, I know that one. Uh, White Christmas, Ben Crosby. Christmas Eve, don't know. Oh, Siberian Orchestra. Yeah, okay, got that one. I remember that one now. The Most Wonderful Time of Year, okay, Andy Williams, good. Holly Jolly Christmas by somebody, Fleece Navidad, everyone knows Fleece Navidad. Uh, Jingle Bell Rock, okay, know that one, the Christmas song, rocking around the Christmas tree, and, and, and the, the, the one thing that was on both of these lists that was the same, number one, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Now, I'm not going to wage a war on all the secular songs that throw Christmas into the lyrics, right? I'm not going to do that. Uh, chances are, if I'm like coming over to your house and all I want for Christmas is you, I'm going to be bobbing the head and knocking the foot or whatever. You just, it's, just, it's catchy and all of a sudden you get to the tune or whatever. I'm not, I'm not waging a war on that. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I, what I want for us is to rightly order all that goes on during our Advent season. So celebrate traditions, provided they cultivate the spirit of Christmas and they do not distract why we're celebrating Christmas. What, what I want, and when we get into the text, I, hopefully you can make this more clear, I want us to regain some of the awe and wonder of Christmas. Awe and wonder. We see this a lot in Scripture. People in awe who God is, and wonder of who God is. Like, it reminds me of a time that I, um, I took a, I led a short-term missions trip to Bolivia. If you're part of Sovereign Grace Church in Minnesota, you may have heard this story. And it was one of those few moments in my life where I was in awe and wonder. So on the western side of the country, there's like the Andes Mountains kind of just rolls through. And so we fly into La Paz, and we got to take like the six-hour bus ride to this place called Carnaby, where this orphanage is located. And it's a six-hour bus ride on something called the Death Road. You can look it up. The Death Road. So I didn't think anything of it, never been there. And then we get on the Death Road, and I'm thinking a lot more about it. 
But as we're traversing through the Andes Mountains, I can't help but be in awe and wonder of what's in front of me. Like, we, I remember one time we get out of the bus, and I'm just standing on the road looking around. I'm like, I've never seen anything like this before. I feel so small and puny compared to the grandeur that is right in front of me. So as I think about Christmas, I want our, I want our kids to be in awe and wonder of Christ before like the Christmas presents. I know that's a challenge, but that's what we want. That's what we want for ourselves. I want the mystery of the incarnation of Jesus Christ to cause us to magnify God. I want our, sen- our senses heightened for all that God has done by sending his son into the world so that sinners could be saved through the son's death. I want us to sing about the birth of Jesus, knowing the profound implications. As we've seen in the previous two weeks, like the birth of Jesus didn't happen out of nowhere. It wasn't like, oh, what do we got here? No. Two weeks ago, we saw from the book of Isaiah that the birth of Christ was foretold. The message of the birth of A savior gave hope and peace to a weary world. That same message continues to give hope and peace to a weary world. Last week we saw Mark um, showed us from the Gospel of John chapter one that the eternal word became flesh. Get your mind around that. The eternal word became flesh. And he came to offer grace and truth to all who would believe. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus We cannot disconnect his birth from what was foretold, Isaiah, right? And from his eternal being. So let me connect this. Let me connect that point to the manger scene, right? First thing my kids did um, when we pulled out all the Christmas stuff is they put the manger scene in my office, right? On Christmas when you place baby Jesus in the manger with you know, Mary and Joseph flanking Jesus on each side, right? you are communicating a profound truth about the eternal Son of God. The challenge is moving it out of decoration status and seeing the truth of what's before you. The profound message of the birth of Jesus is seen again in the Gospel of Luke. Many of you know the story. We sang about it. Um, Logan read it. An angel visited Mary and said, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary's hanging out. Angel. Conversation. And then Mary, knowing a little bit of biology, says to the angel in verse 34, I'm going to paraphrase here, um, I have a question about this whole bearing a son ordeal. Uh, I am a virgin. So last checked, it kind of takes two to tango. Not only that, I am betrothed to be married to Joseph. So what do we do with that? It wasn't lost on Mary that what the angel was saying is like naturally impossible. 
And now, here is the miracle and mystery of Christmas. The angel responds, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, which is cover you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy Son of God. So let's get this straight. The angel tells Mary that she is going to be pregnant with the Son of God. I mean, I'm not trying to sound crude, but I, I want us to understand the gravity of the miracle and, and to, to kind of demythologize the story a little bit. What was going on in Mary could only happen because of an almighty God's divine intervention. And so what we read now is like no more questions from Mary. She got her answer. No more wondering about how the biology is going to work. She responds with humble surrender. We see Mary trusting in what God has spoken over and against what seems to be entirely impossible. Like, I don't know how this is going to work out, but one thing she did know. I'm going to trust. After her statement, her statement of trust, Mary bursts forth in song. It's Mary's song where we will spend the remainder of our time. Mary's song, often called the Magnificat, uh, it's between verses 46 and 56, it's an expression of Mary's humble surrender to God. Mary's song is the first, if you don't know this, the first of four hymns in the Gospel of Luke. So chapters one and two in particular, you see these four hymns and they all center around the incarnation of Jesus Christ. I do think it's instructed that Mary's response to the news from the angel is to sing. Like, what's the reaction here? Um, You're going to bear the Son of God. I'm going to sing. What I love about singing praises to God is it's like an opportunity for the mind, the heart, the soul, and all the accompanying emotions and direct all that to God. And that's what Mary was doing. She was going all in on praising God. And the context here is that Mary was singing while visiting her friend Elizabeth. Uh, Mary's song can help us sing about God during this Christmas season. The content of her song tells us about God and hopefully instructs our hearts. This song, Magnificat, hopefully for us can kind of lift the fog that's in front of our eyes during the holidays It can remove the pageantry for a moment and help us to focus on Christ. What we see at the outset of this song is that it's personal. As well it should be for Mary. It's personal. Mary sings to God with her entire being. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in in God, my Savior. Rendered more literally, just like out of the the Greek language there, Mary says, my soul makes great the Lord. So if you're trying to figure out like, how do we magnify here? Okay, try this. My soul makes great the Lord. My spirit enlarges the Lord. 
So how do we magnify or make great and enlarge God? Every time you learn a truth about God and seek to apply that truth, you magnify and enlarge God in your life. For example, perhaps you haven't thought much about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and what it has to do with Christmas. That's cool. If you embrace the virgin birth and its connection with Christmas and you celebrate how that's connected with Christmas, you are like magnifying God in your life. And so you look at the manger scene and understand its meaning instead of treating it like a decoration. You're enlarging the Lord. You're showing that you believe. In other words, you take the truth of God and allow it to impact your soul. Uh, The 18th century pastor, Charles Spurgeon, said this, I like sometimes, I just want to figure out his voice. I like sometimes, I don't know. Whatever it is, I like sometimes to leave off praying and singing and to sit still and just gaze upward till my innermost soul has seen the Lord. Then I say, he is inexpressibly lovely. Yea, he is altogether lovely. Whether it's through singing, praying, or sitting still, may we find moments during the chaos of Christmas to see how altogether lovely God is. Let's allow the truth of Christmas to impact our soul. With Spurgeon, we want to get to a place where we are just marveling at God. And there's not a better time to marvel than during the Advent season. We should marvel at God and all all that he has done through the birth of Jesus. Let's stick with those two verses for a moment, verse 46 and 47. There are two other words I want us to look at. It's soul and spirit. And they are meant to convey that everything within Mary gives praises to God. Everything. She's all in on God. She can't explain everything that happened. She might not be able to understand what it means to bear the Son of God but she allows the depths of the mystery to captivate every part of her. She embraced the mystery of the miracle, and her song is not merely just as like this intellectual ascent, but every part of her sings. I mean, the application for us is relatively straightforward. When we sing to God, like just a few minutes ago, what we'll do at the end here to close. Next Sunday, and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, when we sing to God, our enti- we want our entire being to be engaged. It's, it's not just the emotions void of thoughts. It's not just thoughts void of emotions. And whatever your disposition, however God created you, God wants every part of you to be engaged in giving him Praise. Everyone knows I'm kind of like the hand waver, right? You're not that, that's fine. Stand up, sit down, I don't care. Point is, just like Mary, all all of your being is engaged in singing him praise for all that he has done. Then in verse 48, we see Mary approach God in praise from like this humble disposition. So her whole being is singing to God, and she's humble. Humility contrasted with pride kind of makes up the tenor. 
of Mary's entire song. As it pertains to Mary, she not only sings with humility, but her circumstances are humble. For all intent purposes, Mary was a nobody. Today we have her in every manger scene, but that was not the case when the angel showed up. At best, she was a backwoods peasant from a nondescript town called Nazareth. She was an afterthought in society, and yet God chooses her to carry and give birth to the Savior of the world. That's remarkable. It is so like God to take a bunch of nobodies and make them somebody so that God can show how mighty and glorious he truly is. I mean, consider for a moment. I was kind of just thinking this through as I was paging through scriptures. Like Moses, for example. Dude was like over 80 when God's like, hey, I got something for you to do. You, you may think you're a geriatric, but you know what? I'm going to use you Moses, to lead my people out of slavery and into freedom. Wow. Look at David, right? I've always wondered what it would be like to be David. Samuel shows up. Hey, one of your boys, Jesse, David's father, is going to be the next king. So Samuel goes down the line. Um, nope. 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 And then it gets to the end, and, and David's, or excuse me, Samuel's like, hey, but you got another son? You mean that scrawny guy out in the field with the sheep? You talk about him? Yeah, go, go, go get him. Bring him over here. And nobody that God uses for his good for his glory. Mary's inclusion is another example of God's economy, right? It's another example of God turning the world upside down while the world around us is saying how great you are and boosting your ego while also telling you who are the most exceptional people in society, right? God is looking to use humble people for his kingdom purposes. So what does this tell us about God? Well, God is not concerned with a person's social status. Instead, he is concerned about the state of the heart. God calls on those who realize they are needy, lowly, and corrupt because of sin. They, they know who they are, and he rejects a person's propensity for independence, which cultivates pride. I don't need you, God. Whenever you say that, it's just a proud statement. In my pride, I don't need you. The humble person says, I need all of you. Mary's life and being embodied the humility needed to trust in God's plan here. Here's what this really means for you and me. Anything that, this, anything that would lead to pride, God wants you and me to root out. Anything that cultivates humility, he wants us to pursue. You will not understand the profundity of Christmas if your heart is proud and set against God. Cut down the Christmas tree, bake the cookies, throw up the lights, but if your heart is proud, then you set yourself against God and you set yourself up against Christmas. 
But a humble heart can cherish the greatest gift this world has ever seen, has ever received. The mystery of the virgin birth melts the humble heart, which results in adoration and praise. Moving on in her song, Mary continues to be personal in her praise, but with theological depth, which I find remarkable. For he who is mighty, it says in verse 49, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And remember, it's personal, but she's, she's got her gaze upward, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In two short verses of praise, Mary calls out the strength of the Lord. She acknowledges the holiness of God. She reminds herself and us of the mercy of God. It's a song that focuses on God and not herself. She only understands herself in light of who God is, and she sings about it. It's a depth you don't hear or sing throughout the broader American Christian landscape. Like, we need to learn from this, from this upward trajectory of the Magnificat. I don't do this often, but I'm going to do it right now. This is a good time to say how much I have appreciated Ryan Anderson's involvement in worship. Right? Since the beginning, he has helped us set our eyes on God. He has led us to see God for who he is, mighty, holy, and merciful. I don't know if you noticed, but we want our songs to have similar theological depth just like we read in the Magnificat. Our corporate praise must continue to reflect the model that Mary has laid out with her song in addition to going to the Psalms. So she sings about who God is, and then she also sings about what God has done. Look at the first and last phrases of the Magnificat. Verse 47, then I'm going to pair that at the end of 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And she spoke of our fathers, and he spoke of our fathers, and to Abraham and his offspring forever. The faithfulness of God is most clearly seen in God's faithfulness to save through Christ. Mary remembers what God had promised to bring salvation through the offspring of Abraham, right? That's what she's saying in verse 56. Then in song, we see the fulfillment of that promise. Mary is saying that God's actions in the Messiah is not so much completely new as a continuation of the mercy he put on Abraham and gave to Abraham. This is truly amazing to see. Mary sees how God has placed her in his redemptive plan. God made redemptive promises to Abraham, and now we know how a humble backwoods country bumpkin is being used in God's redemptive plan. And by the way, Christian, you're also a part of that redemptive plan of God. So, we see Mary's song is personal. It's personal 
in the sense that she looks to God as her all-satisfying joy. It's personal that she trusts God despite the unusual circumstances of her conception. Mary's song is also prophetic. It's a prophetic warning of what God rejects. Now, this might not sound like the most Christmassy point, but let's take a look and see what the prophetic warning is all about. Uh, let's look at the middle of the, of the song. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Got that again, humility. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The proud are scattered. The mighty are brought down. The rich sent away empty. Conversely, we see the humble are exalted and the hungry are taken care of. There's another example in this song of what God's economy looks like. It's what an upside-down world looks like. Let's look at all this from the negative, because I think the negative is actually going to point to the positive. Mary reflects in, in, a, in song that the proud are scattered, which I think could be a reference to the story of Babel in Genesis 11. If it's not a direct reference, we can definitely make an application. So how, how do I make that connection? In pride, people can try to be like God. People want their authority, power, and adoration. That's what we got going on at Babel. We're going to make this tower to show we can be like God. But in their efforts to be like God, they ultimately fail. The book of James offers an apt reminder. God opposes the proud, but gives, extends grace to the humble. And God, being just, will scatter the proud. In this particular text, it says, in their heart. Mary also sings that the mighty have been brought down, which could be a reference, at the very least it's a connection we can make, to Nebuchadnezzar from the book of Daniel. We read in Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar was the proud king of Babylon, but we read in Daniel how God humbles Nebuchadnezzar by basically driving him away, forcing him away from the people. It's like, you keep talking about your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, let me show you what power and authority looks like. You are gonna go, and you're gonna go hang out with the ox, and guess what? You're gonna eat grass just like the ox. Nebuchadnezzar was a mighty king, but God brought him down. As for us, we must be sure not to become haughty like Nebuchadnezzar. Think about this for a moment. There was more power and authority in baby Jesus than Nebuchadnezzar ever had at the height of his rule. So this Christmas, let's be sure not to make it about our own little kingdoms, but about God's kingdom, which is established by a baby. In humility, let's be sure to point to the one who is ultimately almighty. Last, Mary says the rich are sent away. 
Um, The best biblical example I could think of regarding this phrase isn't what was behind Mary, but what was ahead of her. Uh, 17 chapters later in the Gospel of Luke, we read about uh, the story of the rich young ruler. Long story short, uh, the rich young ruler approaches Jesus and says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? That's the question at hand. We discover from their dialogue that, that ultimately money was the barrier between following Jesus and having eternal life and this rich young ruler. I can't give it all up. you kidding me? I've worked so hard. As we continue to move toward Christmas, we must make sure money and our material possessions do not take precedence over God. We must always be ready to rid of everything for God. That's so hard for us to say, for you to hear, and for us to do in our culture. But God is calling us to always be ready to give it all up for him. Martin Lloyd-Jones summarizes verses 51 to 53 so well. I, I love this. Can you not see that everything that a man boasts in, his intellect, I'll add his money or possessions, his understanding, his power, his social status, his influence, his righteousness, his morality, his ethics, his, his code, every one of them is utterly dis- demolished by the Son of God? Again, these are three warnings that actually point us to the positive. God exalts the humble. He fills the hungry. And God helps his people remember what he has done. We've already seen the importance of humility in Mary's life. But why does she sing about God exalting the humble here, the humble people? In part, when God exalts a humble person, God's glory is on display through that individual. Why? A proud person is constantly trying to turn everything in on themselves. A humble person is looking to deflect any glory and say, look at God. There's a massive difference between, hey, look at me and look at Jesus. Look at God. Interestingly enough, when I was um, going over this sermon this morning, my mind went to this particular text. It's not on the screen. Um, and then Ryan said, hey, I'm going to open up with this text from Philippians. And I'm like, hey, well, okay, that's confirmation. I'm just going to share it one more time. And just, just listen to this. Have this mind, talking about humility here, and Mary being a, a humble person, and God exalting the humble. Just, just listen to this. Listen to the humility of our Savior. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves. Okay, I could stop right there. So what we're about to read, you're supposed to have the same mind. Be like this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he, what happened, he emptied himself. What do, we, what do we see here with the birth of Christ? He emptied himself. Amazing. 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Why? Why did God condescend to earth? So that he could become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's true humility right there. And Christian, that is the mind we are to have as well. Humble, serving, constantly thinking about others over oneself. So once again, tying this to Christmas, let's not be impressed with the meal, the decorum of the house, and be humbled and more impressed with Jesus. Yes, do all the things with excellence. I'm not, I love when Tony you know, invites me over and gives me a good meal. I love that stuff. I mean, I'm grateful for that, right? We never want to lose sight of why the meal was created. Don't lose sight of what the decorations are supposed to point to. Mary also sings about filling the hungry. I do not think Mary is necessarily talking about physical food, but God meets spiritual needs, spiritual hunger. Matthew 5, 6 rings true here. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When you hunger for more of God, you are demonstrating spiritual health. So we want to hunger for more of God. I was just reflecting on that this morning. Oh, how do I hunger for more of you, God? Well, the question itself for you, friends, is going to be a sign of spiritual health. I want to hunger for more of him. When you hunger for more of God, God is eager to give you spiritual food. Again, let's just connect this point practically to Christmas. It will not be long when many of you will gather around the aforementioned dinner table, and it's going to be full of food. You know, for me, I try to back off the day before on uh, everything that I'm eating because I, like, I know what's coming. I know that table's going to be full, and as, I, as that time approaches, I'm hungry. I'm like, this kind of fasting thing that's not necessarily spiritual. I'm just trying to create space. Now I'm just hungry. So this physical reality is pointing to a higher spiritual fact. Like I've said, we need a hunger for more of God. So this Christmas, may we hunger to be filled with the mystery and the majesty of the birth of Jesus. So yes, please enjoy the ham, the turkey, however, however it is you do it. Enjoy it, be grateful, feel blessed. But may you hunger for more of God, more than you hunger for the ham. The third positive statement sung by Mary it's about God helping us remember what he has done. What has God done? Time and again, God has proved himself to be faithful. He has made promises, and God has always kept his promises. So the key word in verse 54 is, Christian, remember. Remember what God has done. Now, we can remember the faithfulness of God by pointing to the scriptures time and time again. When his people have been unfaithful, God has been faithful. But we also can remember the faithfulness of God in your life, Christian. There's not a more significant moment in time for you to remember than when God gave you faith to believe in the miracle of Christmas. It's like, when I got saved, I'm like, whoa, the implications are crazy. 
This really happened. It's not just a story. It's not just in a song. And we always want to remember what God has done to give you faith and to believe. To believe that the baby who became a man lived a sinless life took the hard road to the cross, to die on that cross, atoning for your sins, forgiving your past, present, and future sin, giving you peace and hope, peace and hope that is so elusive apart from faith in Christ. In light of what Jesus has done, you now have eternal blessings. Jesus now calls you brother and sister. All because the eternal word promised about in the Old Testament became flesh and the eternal word, Jesus has always been on mission to redeem his elect people to himself. All of this and more is why we celebrate Christmas. We want to remember that. It is why we sing. Kind of going back to Mary. Why did she sing? She was remembering. When we sing praises to God, we are remembering all that God has done. We remember the faithfulness of God. A couple thoughts to wrap up. As you know, and as I've said, the sermon series title is A Weary World Rejoices, Salvation Comes at Christmas. And I know there's a, a myriad of reasons why people are weary during the Christmas season, right? It's a time we celebrate, but if you're anything like me, you bump into moments of weariness along the way. And sometimes it's like we just get past the 25th so life can go back to normal, right? All the things can be overwhelming and make a person weary. Just the prospect of all the coordination can bring stress, right? I gotta do this, gotta do this, gotta go over there, gotta bake this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I don't know how my wife keeps it together. I mean, I mean goodness, there's so many things going on. Um, that can make us weary. The loss of a loved one can make a person weary during Christmas. General family dynamics can make a person weary during Christmas. During Christmas. Unexpected stress, just didn't see it coming. Now you gotta deal with this. And it's like, oh, it's Christmas. Are you serious? Of all the times of year that I don't want to be weary, it's right now. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I want to encourage you to refocus your gaze upon God. Refocus your gaze upon the incarnation of Jesus Christ and what that means for your salvation. I mean, sing about it if you need to. If you're anything like me, when I'm weary, I, try to, I just try to sing praises to God. Just my emotional being. I'm like, I just want to sing. Sing my way through this. Perhaps it's intentional time to pray. I just need to get away. I need to pray. Get in your word, in the Bible. And maybe it is like Spurgeon, the quote that I had earlier. It's just to sit still, remove the distractions, push them out, and fix your gaze upon Jesus. Wherever, whatever it is for you. In your moments of weariness, move toward God. Refocus your gaze upon Christ.
Christ. Bring your weariness to the Lord. He desires to take your burden upon himself. He wants you to live with lasting peace. Lasting peace. And then I'll end with this. Just as we see this morning, sing. Sing to him. Sing about who God is. Remember what he has done. Sing about how God has proved himself to be faithful. Sing about how salvation has come at Christmas. Let's pray.